0: Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast and we all want to feel like our lives matter. To find this kind of significance, we often think in macro terms about our overarching purpose and values. Such reflection is certainly useful, but what are the smaller building blocks that will get us to those goals? What are the things we can do to live more purposefully on a day-to-day basis? My guest lays out 10 such habits in his latest book, Make Today Matter. His name is Chris Lowney. He started his vocational life studying to become a priest before discovering it wasn't for him and shifting his ambitions to the corporate world, working first as a managing director at J.P. Morgan. And now, as a consultant and keynote speaker. Today on the show, Chris and I discuss tactics gleaned from both his experience as a Jesuit seminarian and as a business leader that can help you live each day with more meaning. Chris explains how to keep your most important values at the forefront of your mind, how to approach each day with bravery and heart, and how looking for little ways to do good deeds, expressing gratitude, and lead others in a positive way will all add up to a life that matters. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is/slash make today matter. Chris Lowney, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Pleasure to do it. So you have an interesting background. A few weeks ago, we had Father James Martin on the podcast, who was, his background is interesting because he went from the corporate world to becoming a Jesuit priest you did the opposite from him. You started off as you know, going to seminary to become a Jesuit. Uh, but then you found your way in investment banking. So tell us about that. How'd that happen?
1: Yeah, that's right. He, I, I, I flunked out of the Jesuits. You might, you might put it that way. So, so the 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 short version of my life is I grew up in Queens. You know, lower middle class New York streets went to a high school of the Jesuits, and then, right after high school, I joined the Jesuits, went into the seminary and I'm sure some of the listeners would know Jesuits would be a i don't know you might say a brand, a tradition of priests within the Catholic Church. So I was studying to be a priest for a few years, and you know that was a a great transformative life experience, but as folks also probably know, part of being a Catholic priest is to be celibate, not to marry. And, you know, over time, it became clear to me that that was not my gift or calling in life, you might say. And, um, you know, if I if I tried to stick that out, I was going to be unhappy and we don't need unhappy priests and we don't need unhappy lawyers and and so on. So the last thing I was doing as a Jesuit was, was teaching economics in one of their high schools. And I was living in New York City. I didn't really have a plan B, so I just kind of sent out my resume and was lucky enough to catch on in the training program at J.P. Morgan, the the big investment bank. And I ended up staying there for 17 years. I was lucky enough to spend time in Japan, in Singapore, in London. And when I left there a decade or so ago, I think, you know, you might summarize that decision this way, that, you know, I felt like, you know, look, I mean, this is good work i'm happy i'm doing this but if i'm 70 years old and the only thing i can say about my life is that i've worked at jp morgan for 40 years I'm not quite sure how fulfilling a life I'm gonna feel that is. And also, which is something uh, that comes up, I know in your work from time to time. And uh, you know, another factor was, you work in one of these big, massive companies and your own control, your own agency, your own feel for, you know, what am I producing? What am I creating? What am I accountable for? Is a a little hard to grasp sometimes. And so I wanted to move on and write and do conferences And and, uh, uh, do things where I, I felt like I'm creating the product that I'm sharing with the
0: world. So I'm curious, how did you think your experience in the Jesuit seminary influenced your career in investment banking? I mean, did you notice, like, did you approach things differently compared to your colleagues who didn't have that same background?
1: Uh, so, uh, you know, I'll say, I'll say two things that I think were different as a result maybe of, of being a Jesuit. So one thing would be that, uh, you know, in uh, banking life, everything tends to have a trading mentality In in this respect, that all the decisions have to get made within four seconds. You know, just like happens on a trading floor where you're going to buy a stock or sell a stock. So you could bring somebody the most complicated decision in the world and the macho investment banking thing would be able to say yes or no on the spot, you know, and really that that way of living has kind of infected culture more broadly now, you know, because of social media and so on. Everything is like instantaneous. But frankly, a lot of decisions in life can't get made like that, you know, and they're not best made like that. You know, sometimes it's good to take time and, and have our, you know, have what's going on inside us settle a bit and come to some clarity about what's best for us and so on. And that's a very Jesuit way of, you know, that's the way we would have been formed as Jesuits. And I think I always carried that way of approaching things. In other words, it's okay to take time to make a decision when you have time to make a decision, sometimes even better. So that's one thing I would say. Another thing I would say briefly is that, um, you know, I think a lot of times in corporate life, we everything revolves around learning techniques and so on. Like In other words, I had to learn how to do present value calculations or how to do this or that. And one thing that corporate life never focuses on is what's ultimately the most important thing. You know, who are you and what do you stand for and what are your values and strengths and weaknesses? And I think that was another bias that I brought from Jesuit life. You know, namely, it's good and it's important to think not just about acquiring technical skills, but also the skills of learning about who you are as a person and so on.
0: So let's get to this book you just came out with, uh, Make Today Matter. Ten habits for a better life and world. I'm curious, how did you come up with these habits? Is it just based on your experience going all the way back from your 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 career as a potential Jesuit and then your career in investment banking?
1: Yeah. So you know, maybe maybe I put it this way. So I you know I do a lot of leadership seminars. You know, at either corporations or or universities and and so on. And what you know, one of the things I I often say to folks is, you know, we already know. You already know it. We already know what good leadership looks like and what crappy leadership looks like and and so on, because we've all had experience of, of people who've mentored or taught or coached or managed us, and we've seen it in action. And so, you know, the way I assembled the book in some ways was just to think back about Moments and people who had very much impressed me in my own life with their ability to kind of live each day well, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of the stories, a lot of the habits came almost right away. You know, it didn't take me much time to think about them. I mean, I, there, there are people who've been quite impactful for me. So I just cataloged mentally some, some folks who'd made a deep impression on me and then tried to extract, you know, what, what is it that sort of crystallizes the way they go about doing things that I, that I think could help me and could help the rest of us. And one uh, guardrail I gave myself in putting it together was that I was interested in bite sized, how do you do it every day kind of stuff? You know, because I feel that part of the challenge of the, of the 21st century here is that, you know, daily life is this utter maelstrom and there's way too much going on and we all have to process too many stimuli every day, whether social media or television or whatever the heck it is. And it, tends to kind of distract us and draw us off course and and I tend to feel with a lot of people the problem in life is not just is not really that they are pointed in the wrong direction you know most of us kind of know where we'd like to go and who we'd like to be rather the problem is that daily life's craziness and distractions and uh, nonsense kind of distract us and pull us off course so i was interested in habits that really boiled down to how do I do it today? You know, how can I make my daily life better? Not, uh, not so much. Let me think of these visionary, long term, aspirational kind of things.
0: So, before we get into the habits, you, know, you start off the book arguing that you know people need to first figure out what matters in life. And you said just earlier that you know people have a general idea of the direction they want to go in life, but. I mean, I think it's even harder now to figure that out. I mean, you have all these books and courses on how to find your life's purpose. And that's kind of, you know, that's a challenge we have in the modern age when people aren't embedded in communities or institutions. Like if you, you know, for your case, if you're a Catholic priest, like, well, I just do, this thing, because that's what Catholic priests do. Or if you are, you know, in a family that is a trade, fan, has a history of trade. Well, I just do this trade because that's what my family does. Nowadays, like you can choose whatever you want to be and whatever purpose you have. So, what do you think is the approach on figuring out what matters and what, what direction you're going in your life when you have all these choices to, to choose from?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, first of all, I think the, uh, you know, the way you tee up the question is, is exactly right. You know, when you talk about the fact that, you know, once upon a time, we, you know, cultures and, and societies were much more homogenous, you know, and there was kind of a way, this is the way we do things in this neighborhood or in our ethnic group or in our religious group and so on. And, you know, now we live in a much more diverse world. And that's wonderful. You know, it brings a lot of joys and blessings but it also makes everything in life way more complicated in terms of coming to judgments about what's the right thing to do, what's appropriate, how should I live, these kind of things. And one of the things that always haunts me in that regard is I remember once some years ago reading an interview with a guy who had pioneered, a chief executive had pioneered a world-changing merger, and he had recently retired, and he he made a comment basically like, you know... I had gotten to the age of 60 and realized I didn't know anything about the essential questions in life. And I went on and I felt like I have to go on a journey. I have to find myself. And, you know, good for him for coming to that conclusion and going on that personal journey. But I guess the point I want to make is if if you start making it 60, good, but man, way better if you start at 20, 25, 30, 35. And in a way, that was the, you know, the early part of the book. And the question you're getting at is, how do we start to engage in that challenge of figuring out w- what sense of purpose and what matters and so on? And, you know, what I like to say to people, what I say in the book is, you know, I feel like we know, we, you got it better than you think you do. You know, we kind of know. And what I say to folks is forget any Big, fancy, year long, horrible, difficult process. Take out a piece of paper now. Sit for 15 minutes. One hour is no good. And just for a few minutes, answer whatever question resonates you along these lines, resonates with you along these lines. Like, what matters? Or how will I measure my life? Or how do I want to be remembered? Or what's, what are the most important things I should stand for in life? And maybe even write down a few quotes that are, are meaningful to you as a, as a human being. You know, a couple of the ones that, that come to my mind are, you know, never do to another person what you yourself hate. Or, you know, to give away as much love as I've received, you know, whatever it is. And just take some minutes to do that. And I feel like for the, for the great majority of us, those big guiding principles actually come pretty quickly and clearly. You know, we've kind of had them in the back of our mind, and it's just a matter of bringing them to the forefront of our consciousness. And then, you know, the ongoing life trick, and we'll probably talk about this later in in our conversation, the ongoing life trick is to keep reminding yourself of it, you know, even every day because, you know, we're going to get constantly pulled in different directions and constantly pulled off course. And the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, you teed up the question in terms of sense of purpose. And a lot of times people think of purpose in terms of a job, you know, like my purpose is to be a nurse or a teacher or a a parent. And, you know, for a lot of us, We're going to be doing lots of different things now in the course of a lifetime. And so when I think about purpose, those kinds of questions, I would prefer to steer people toward, I don't know what, a set of principles or values that are going to stay with them throughout the range of occupations they might have in a normal lifetime. I mean, look at my life. I've done, already done a number of different things. I'm going to do more things. So my purpose was not to be an investment banker or a writer. You know, my purpose, I would say, is to, you know, be a person who, in the course of a life, gives away as much love as has been given to him, for example.
0: Well, let's talk about that remembering, because I think that's the hardest part, based on my experience. I've, I've done those exercises where you sit down and like, yes, I know what matters, but then when you get in the work a day of life, you just, you forget it. I think it was it Plato, you know, going back to your philosophy major and you'd probably study these guys as a seminarian too. their ethics, you know, Plato was really big on like whole, like we're just trying to remember things, right? Like we're, the whole point of life is to remember the stuff that we already know. And if we forget, that's what leads to, I don't know, a, a, a disordered life. So w- what's your solution like, how do you remember those things once you realize what they are?
1: You know, I'm going to jump out of the order of the book uh, because I think the conversation is really pointing us that direction and talk now about one of the very last things I talk about in the book. Uh, And I say to folks, because this is one of the disciplines I was taught, that every day, every day we ought to take a couple little mental breaks. So let's imagine once at the end of lunch, once before I'm going to bed or on my way home from work, and, you know, take five minutes. If you can't manage five minutes, take three minutes. Two, I don't care, but just a couple of minutes where no social media, no phone, no music, no nothing, just you and yourself. And I say to folks, just do three things, you know, remind yourself why you're grateful as a person and remind yourself of, you know, we've been talking about sense of purpose, you know, or what matters to you or what's important or what values you want to stand for, why you're here on earth, So anything like that, just bring that to mind. And then go back through your last few hours, the people you were with, the meetings you were in, try to take away some little lesson that might help in the next few hours and, you know, break a lifetime into that bite-sized six, 10-hour nugget, you know? And I think the genius of this really simple practice becomes obvious when we think about the way we're trying to live now. You know, we're kind of floating along on this whitewater river of email, text, meeting, distraction, phone call, you know? And I get to the end of the day, I think this is what you're pointing out right now, Brett. You know, I get to the end of the day and uh, I've been 100% present to every distraction that's crossed my radar But the only thing I haven't been present to is what ultimately I think is most important in life, you know? And so I feel like we have to create some little habit for doing that every day because no one's going to do it for us. You know, I mean, I get all kinds of texts, emails, whatever, every day, and I can promise you that none of those texts or emails is, hey, Chris, have you reminded yourself what's really important in your life? You know that just doesn't happen, and so we have to create that that habit, that routine for ourselves. You know to help uh, keep pulling us back every day to our anchor or our north star, or however we think of those uh,
0: things that are most important to us. So this is an adaptation of the Jesuit examine, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that you know, like the Jesuits call it examine, which you know is the latin word for examining like you examine your, yourself or your conscience in this case but you know i feel like jesuits love these arcane latin terminology that doesn't mean anything to the rest of us anymore you know so i i mean i feel like part of what you know these one of the things we need to do with these wonderful human and religious and spiritual traditions some of them that are thousands of years old is maybe try to find ways to translate some of those insights into language that makes sense to us nowadays who don't have these kind of backgrounds you know so for example you you use the word examine that's right that's what jesuits would call this practice when i talk to people i usually say a mental pit stop you know because everybody knows what a pit stop is like and and i think that's a more um intuitively accessible uh, way of referring to it for a lot of people And also, and also, by the way, it takes it out of the religious, you know, I learned it in a religious context, but what we, what you and I have just been talking about has nothing to do with my religious tradition or anybody's religious tradition. You know, somebody who has no religious tradition could absolutely do what we
0: just spoke about. All right. So just recap, it's remind yourself what you're grateful for, remind yourself of your purpose, and then look back in like the first, like the past few hours and see how you're doing there, and what you can do better. Basically, is perfect. And, and I think this is an important point to make. And you talk about this in the book. This, the benefits of the exam. You're not gonna. You might feel something the first time you do it, but really the effects are cumulative, right? I think. I think one of the issues, problems that people have with sort of self-improvement, self improvement, self. They think there's gonna be this one thing if they just start doing it, and right away, they're gonna see a change, and their life's gonna be just 100 percent better. You might do this for five minutes, and you might not feel anything. But if you do this for weeks, months, years, I'm sure that that you you start you'll notice a change then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Amen Amen to that. I mean, I totally, I totally believe that, you know, and so, and sometimes when I talk about this, I mean, an example I use is Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, like the genius, the Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the basic idea is if you have a, a trouble, uh, with, if you have trouble with alcohol that you can't control yourself, that you would never drink for the rest of your life. And who the heck is going to pull that off? You know, (laughs) like if somebody tells that to me tomorrow, I just want to drink right now, you know, but the genius of Alcoholics Anonymous is they say, is the motto is of course, one day at a time, you know, one day at a time. And I think the genius of this practice is it's, it's just more bite-sized and, you know, one day is not the rest of your life and the effects, the impact, the insights, whatever word you want to use Of course, don't come in a day or a week, maybe even a month, but it's like a cumulative discipline, you know? And also, the other thing I would say is it's a little bit like riding the bike. You know, the first couple of cranks of the pedal are harder, but then, you know, you stay on the bike, and if we're on level ground, It starts to come a little bit easier, and there's more cumulative power in it. Yeah, so I think that's an important observation you make. That uh, you know, there, you know, to me, there is no, there are no miracle cures in life, and you know, we try to acquire good habits, good disciplines, and over time, they have effect.
0: So let's get more into these habits. We we kind of jumped the gun and got to the, the the mental pit stop habit, but the first one that was really interesting was it's called point out the way. What do you mean by that habit? You know, point, point out the way to me
1: is my shorthand, shorthand way of saying be a leader. You know, be a leader. And you know, a lot of times, I if I, if I do a, a seminar or a conference or something, I I ask people to think of the names of of leaders. And intuitively, people think like, oh, you know, I don't know, Barack Obama, Oprah Winfrey, Pope Francis. You know, they think of uber famous people, and Nobody thinks of their own name, you know, we would consider it immodest to think that way. But, you know, one of the dictionary definitions of leadership is to point out a way or a direction and to influence others toward it. And look, everybody's doing that all the time you know by virtue of for example if i'm in a, a corporate environment or sitting in a in a, w- with fellow students or wherever i am you know by virtue of how hard i work whether i'm really trying to use my gifts whether i support other people or would stab them in the back whether i would cheat if i get away with it in other words all of these all of these behaviors and values are kind of pointing out a way And having some influence, you know, either on one or two people who see us in action or sometimes if we have a big platform on a lot of people. So, you know, so that first habit of pointing out the way is is really inviting people to think about the fact that, hey, pal, my friend, you know, you have a leadership opportunity and responsibility now. You know, like not if you become president of the United States or chairman of your company, but just now, you know, your actions are pointing out a way and having some influence. And so please keep that in your mind and think about what way you would be proud to to point out by by your behaviors and actions.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Once you think of yourself that I'm having an influence on people, that idea can immediately change how you behave because you realize wow, it's actually going to influence people, so I better bring my A-game to them, uh, whatever that might be. Absolutely. So another habit is bring big heart every day. And I, So first off, like, what do you mean by that? And then I've got some follow-up questions I want to ask about, because this. this was the one that I thought was, I had a lot of questions about.
1: Yeah, so let me let me tell a story I I didn't tell in the book. So once I, uh, not so long ago actually, I was at a, um, I There's a Manhattan School of Music is not so far from where I work. And it's this wonderful place where, you know, these folks in their late teenage years or college age years, a very high level of musicianship are learning to be great musicians. And I, I, and you uh, you could wander into the street and hear them, you know, do their little recitals and so on. And one day there was a master class taking place for piano students and this guy. And so uh, these, these students would come in and you know they were their technical skills were fabulous but sometimes their playing at least in the mind of this master who was coaching them was a little robotic and and an observation he made was you know do you know what the word virtuoso means and we think of virtuoso as being as meaning excellent of course you know he's a real virtuoso but part of this Master teacher's point was that part of the root of the word virtuoso is just being brave. And his point was you know, you just need to go for it in your playing. You have the technical skills, but what you don't, what you're not bringing enough is your heart, you know, your spirit you're going for it you're taking a little risk so in a way that's the the core of the idea i was trying to get at in that chapter namely that people who are, are really effective every day are somehow really trying to live every day and not just drifting through it not just going through the motions uh, but whatever they're doing they're they're trying to bring their best selves to their best gifts to and you know I I know that is not I I don't mean to over romanticize what that looks like or feels like. You know, I so I've written a few books and some and people sometimes ask about what is good preparation for for being able to write a book. And without joking I say to them, you know something having worked in a big company, having worked for the man for a lot of years is good preparation because one of the things it taught me is every day you got to show up you know some days you're bored some days it's just not coming some days you don't want to be there some days you feel a little bit sick or off but you have to learn the discipline of being willing to sit down and try to put in your effort to whatever you're doing that's the core of the idea i try to get out there
0: but, but but how do you do it on those days right where you just you wake up and you're just like i just i'm not feeling it <laughs> right um and, you know, and it could be like, not just about work, but it's like, like your family, you're just like, I, uh, I don't want to, I just want to sit and do nothing. So how do you overcome that tendency to just be passive and not be, you know, live boldly, live bravely. And, and again, like you said, we're not, we're not trying to, you don't need to like change the world, but just like live life. Right. Yeah. How do you, how do you overcome that?
1: Well, uh, so look, you know, so I have a two. I have a couple of ideas about that. But let me say this first as a preliminary before I say those ideas. First thing is, you know, if I thought I was the exemplar of how to live every habit I write about in the book, I would have written about a book about myself, not not about these other people. You know. So I think you know the first thing I want to say is. It, I wrote the book for myself too. It's not like I have every, all this stuff figured out. I'm also trying to learn the very habits I'm championing to other people. You know, but having said that, here's here's a couple of things that that cross my mind. You know, I did. You know, the the title of the book uses the word habits, and I use that for a reason. You know, because I I think habits and discipline. Are important, you know. I mean, it's not sexy, but I think it's important. And I, I, sometimes I think we have this, and you almost alluded to to it a little bit earlier in one of your questions, this kind of romantic idea that I'm going to have some inspirational moment or insight or moment of truth, and then from then on. All the motivation will come and I'll always be running for the prize and so on. And in my experience, the world, you know, just does not work that way. And so I feel for a lot of us, part of getting to that result, part of getting to a really invested pursuit of whatever is important is that we kind of teach ourselves good habits, you know, and part of, and and one habit is I'm going to try to show up every day. You know, and do what it is I'm here to do, whether it's take care of my kid or be good to my wife or be somebody who really tries to help customers or be somebody who's honest. I'm going to try to bring, you know, work hard to do that every day and get myself into the habit. So that's what the first thing I would say. But the second thing I would say is, you know, you're right. I mean, some days it is just absolutely not there and. I have always found the motto of uh, the medical profession to be strangely relevant to every, every, every other life. You know, some people may know that, uh, the, you know, it, it's not actually in the Hippocratic Oath, but, but it's sometimes said that the first motto of a doctor is first do no harm. And, you know, sometimes that's the best you could settle for today. Like, in other words, I know this is not going to be a winning day, but let me at least see If I could do no harm today, you know, do no harm to the people I love. I I don't mean physical harm, but you you understand my point. You know, not say the thing that's going to be hurtful to my spouse or not treat my kid in such a way that's going to be punishing or harsh or not make life a pain in the ass for my colleagues. You know, that's the best I'm going to be able to accomplish today is doing no harm. And if that's the best, that's okay too.
0: Right. I think it's also important, you know, you're going to you're going to have seasons in your life where it's like super productive and there's other seasons where there might be a lull and that requires patience and you just keep plugging away and eventually you'll get that mojo that comes back for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, and let me actually if you don't, if you don't mind, let me say something about that too. You know, one of the one of the a uh, quote that's always been very helpful to me in my own life is from Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, and he had this line Life must be lived forward, but can only be understood backward. And in other words, what he was getting at is, and, I, and absolutely, I felt this way. You know, There were times uh, like I'm a Jesuit, and now I'm kind of discovering this is not where my calling is in life. And where is this going? And am I going anywhere? Am I, getting, am I making progress? And going forward, we got to live like that. In other words, it's not always clear where the next year will bring me or that things are going well, or that I'm making progress. So we have to live like that. But I would say in my own experience, and especially now that I have a few years under my belt, when I look backwards, when I look back over my life, I get a more reassuring feeling of, you know something? Actually, it has made sense. And you know, even those periods where I wasn't sure I was getting traction, I can now see I was learning something you know, and and it was helpful to me in the long run. So that, you know, that idea has always been helpful to me, at least in helping to keep me moving forward in these times where, as you say, it doesn't feel like we're, I'm getting anywhere or I'm learning anything or I'm accomplishing what I want to accomplish.
0: So you devote another chapter to like competition and how it can sometimes sap the satisfaction in life. But it's, it's, it's sort of, a paradox because competition can actually be really engaging right it's motivating it feels good to win but when can that feeling that positive feeling turn into something that that's you know that's negative
1: yeah so uh, you know to illustrate what you're getting at when when uh, something that's positive could feel negative is so as we've discussed, I worked in an investment bank for many years, and for a while I was a managing director, so I would have to you know, give people their bonus checks at the end of the year. And let me tell you something, to do that in an investment bank is an experience everybody should go through in life, and it is not a pretty experience, you know, because you'd be given checks to people. For these huge amount amounts of money, sometimes, and you'd feel like, oh man! I mean, we have such undeserved good luck. We should be thrilled. We should be so grateful. And in fact, you know, the the way it would play out would be, it would be kind of grim. You know, I mean, nobody, uh, many people would not want to show if they were happy because they were already sort of positioning themselves for a year from now. And other people, you know, they would, they would kind of be okay. But then an hour later, once they started to hear what other people seem to have made, then they'd become all unhappy. And, you know, I, I use it to illustrate this reality of once we fall into that trap of living our whole life in comparison with other people, That is a total sinkhole for negative energy and unhappiness and everything else. You know, whether it's comparing the size of a bonus or how many likes you get on Facebook or whether my house is bigger than yours or whether I have less wrinkles than you do, any of that crap. You know, once we kind of live by comparison, it's deadly, you know, because there's always going to be somebody you could find who has more or who is doing more and. You know, sometimes I, there, there's a, a frame, one way of thinking about it is, instead of living, uh, approaching my life in a competitive way uh, or a comparative way, I might think of my life in a contributive way. You know, in other words, I'm not here on earth to compare myself to you and to outdo you i'm here on earth to contribute to something you know whether first to my family of course you know to making people feel loved and grow and uh, and reach their own potential then to my community and my colleagues and so on you know and when we when we can kind of steer our heads more to this contributive way of thinking, I think it's a, a formula that could bring a little more satisfaction. You know, when then when we're stuck with a very comparative way of thinking. You know, you mentioned competition. Let me say a word about that. I mean, you're 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 right that it, and it is kind of paradoxical that you know to to compete does lift our game. You know, and and make us better. I once heard this. I wish I, I wish I invented this myself. I don't know if it's true, but somebody once made a comparison. To me, for me, of the words competition and rivalry. I have no idea if this is true, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. And the, their idea, they, they, they etymologically, what they were explaining to me was that competition has more the sense of what we do together and we lift each other's game. You know, by competing in the race with you, it forces me to be the very best I can. Rivalry has more the etymological sense of drinking out of each other's river or sharing the same river or something. So it's more like a, a fight. You know, the point is not that competition makes me better. The point is rather that I need to beat you. And that's where the troubles start.
0: And, and so I imagine the way you shift from this comparison to contributive mindset is through that daily practice. That you do
1: uh, yeah good for you absolutely because you know how often do i forget what i just told you about every three hours <laughs> you know because this is what life is huh i mean i see that somebody i know has been very successful you know even a friend of mine and i know that the good part of me you know all i want is to celebrate their success but there's a little there's a little part of me that gets a little bit resentful Uh, You know, also, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but I mean, I think that's part of what being human is like, you know, that we screw up and we're not our best selves all the time. So, yeah, I mean, to to kind of commit to this practice of, okay, look, I'm going to try to take a couple of minutes every few hours and pull myself back on track so that I can hopefully reel myself in before my craziness of resentments or competitive spirit or greed or status concern or lust or whatever the hell is the nonsense you know takes uh, you know takes too firm a grip on me
0: so another habit you have is uh, give away your sneakers what do you mean by that so that's a
1: story that uh, that's a story that really uh, touched me. I'm uh, on, the, on the board of a hospital system, and we try to curate, gather, and, and collect stories every year of folks who are really showing the spirit of our hospitals at their best. And one of those stories I read was written by a nurse in one of our emergency rooms. And she said that she remembers this uh, homeless guy coming into their e r uh, not with a horrible life-threatening thing, but uh, just with some uh, chronic set of problems. And you know, they kind of patched the guy up, and they're about to send him back onto the street. And the doctor who was taking care of him happens to notice that the the homeless guy doesn't have any shoes. So the e r doc takes off his sneakers. And gives them to the guy and then sends him back out onto the street. And the ER nurse talks, writes writes the story of that same evening being by the window of the hospital and seeing the doctor walk through the parking lot to his car in his socks. You know, and for me that really has been a touching story that I always keep in mind and the point of the story, the, the habit, the idea of giving away your sneakers is to try to, can can I get my head today into the space where I recognize that I have some opportunity that I might miss to make some little contribution to making someone's life better or the world better. And I give, let me give you a, a couple of very simple examples. I live in a big apartment building and there's a, there's a guy who hangs out in the lobby sometimes, a, a, a resident. And, you know, I think in part because he's a little lonely. And most of the time I kind of cruise by because I feel like, oh man, I have things to take care of, or I have other things to do, and so on. It would cost me so little, you know, just to spend those two minutes there. Or I walk in my neighborhood I, every almost every day. I like to uh, go for a walk, talk about this little mental pit stop. That's how I do it sometimes. And you know, I live in New York City, so they are like candy wrappers and garbage on the side of the road. And it would be so easy for me to pick up some of this stuff and, you know, and and just throw it in a garbage can. But most of the time, I don't do that either. So to kind of get ourselves into the mindset of, I'm going to take some opportunity today to give away my sneaker. In other words, to do something that just happens to float into my path that is an opportunity for me to do good. And does any of that stuff change the world? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But that I think is part of the part of our problem in life, you know, that we're kind of sitting around waiting for this golden world changing opportunity. And for most of us, life doesn't work that way, you know, and, uh, what, what it is for us is a lifetime of these daily small moments that in the course of decades add up to a life that you can really be proud of and feel happy about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the interesting things I've noticed in my own life is, you know, thinking like, oh, how can I recognize those opportunities? But what I've found is like, once you do it once, like your brain starts looking for those, like it starts noticing those things more. And uh, it, I don't know, once you start doing it, like we talked about earlier, once you start doing something, it creates momentum that you keep doing it. So if you're, if someone's out there listening, like, well, how can I be more aware of what's needed? Well, just do it once. And I think you'll start noticing things even more after you do that.
1: Yeah, good for you. And I feel like I I totally agree with what you just said. And I feel like I once read even that there's some, some dopamine impact sometimes in, in giving away or doing good or something like that. And, you know, I've meant to track down that research. So, yeah, like in other words, even on a chemical psychological level, the, the sort of reward we get for doing that can be its own reinforcing mechanism that helps us to, you know, get beyond the first few cranks of the pedal and get us to the point where it's now rolling more smoothly.
0: So the last habit I want to talk about, we haven't hit on all of them, but the one that really stuck out to me was gratitude. And you started off the chapter with the sentence, gratitude is like cholera. So explain that one. How is gratitude like this terrible disease that people suffer and tropical areas
1: <laughs> so uh, you know cholera is uh, spread person to person and ch- uh, cholera is uh, very impactful and same with gratitude <laughs> you know it's it's if if i am a grateful person i show gratitude to you that makes you happy uh, happier and in turn makes you a more grateful person and uh, you know i have absolutely seen that to be true in in my own life i you know i tell the story of a of a teacher who um after i made this little pitch for gratitude in a seminar she happened to have an interaction with somebody back at her school and just in the business like way that we tend to interact you know just okay please do this or uh, so on and then afterwards she kind of remembered the concept of being grateful. And uh, so she sent a follow up note to this guy who had done something back in the school and said, Look, thank you very much. I really appreciate your dedication to the school. And the guy sends back a note to her saying, Oh, thank you. You made my day. And then she comes up to me with her cell phone. She shows me this note and, like, she has tears in her eyes. She's so happy you know, and then I feel happy. <laughs> and I, you know, I must say, I have found that to be true. And I feel like what part of the craziness and the disease of of modern life is that we're very problem aware, you know, do this, solve this, this is going wrong, this is a pain, all this kind of stuff. And uh, instead, I think sometimes we have to kind of rejigger our mechanism to, to be a little more mindful of being grateful. Uh, you know, I also tell the story in the book about my, uh, mother and, uh, who's passed away now after a wonderful life. Uh, you know, she had a, a serious car accident at one point and it took weeks and weeks for her even to stand up again, much less walk. And I remember distinctly one day going down these few flights of stairs in a in a on the way to a, a train station and just being able to savor the miracle that i could walk down a flight of stairs you know and i mean i don't i don't mean to be overly romantic but i mean it's true i mean there's there's uh, so much that we have that we take for granted and, you know, it, it, the, 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 research, the positive psychology research teaches us that people who are grateful, you know, they end up being happier. They end up just naturally wanting to exercise more. They end up being more productive. And so what can we do to kind of flip the switch into being more grateful persons and getting all the payoffs that come with that?
0: And that's why you
1: do the daily practice. Absolutely. Step one, be grateful. Be grateful.
0: Well, Chris, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about your work? Uh, so
1: I've written a few things and you know, you can easily find things I've written on Amazon or wherever you, you go for books. And I there's a personal website, which is chrislowney.com, just all my words, C H R I S L O W n-e-y one word uh dot com and i'm always delighted to hear from folks i'm not so famous that i uh <laughs> that i can't return emails so you know I, I always appreciate hearing people's insights and ideas and having a chance to
0: respond to them well fantastic chris lowney thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure it's been my pleasure thank you my guest name is Chris Lowney. He's the author of the book, Make Today Matter. It's available on amazon.com. You can also find more information about his work at chrislowney.com. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is/slash make today matter. you can find links to resources. We can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, if you got something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you take a minute to give us a review on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.